Turn the volume up to about the first one over there. Yeah. yeah, about right there is where you usually want it. How's that? Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Um, so as I, I, I talked to the leaders earlier this morning, there's just a lot going on in our lives. Apparently, I need this. So let's hope this is not an obstacle. I've not had good luck when it comes to these things. All right. So I can just, I don't know if you going up or down. Am I going up or down? Go down. Seems, seems counterintuitive. But anyway, there we go. So, yeah, we might be flying out tonight. As you said, to go to uh, Phoenix. Calvary, Northern Ireland. And we plan to leave in a week anyway, so if we don't leave tonight, we're going to be leaving after the service next Sunday. Um, and we'll be going for a month or so, and we're going to miss all of you very, very much. Yeah, I'm going to miss the warm weather very, very much. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Central Canada to do a bit of work, and uh, enough said about that. Um, but yeah, we love you, but we're so thankful that you here with us today. And uh, let me get to the right spot here in the Bible. Let's go. So, this is going to be a, an interesting sermon. About 22 years ago, um, I was in the Yukon territories in northern Canada, and I was living there and working there and I had a passion for rock climbing. I really love to go rock climbing. And there's something about that challenge of, of going up a rock face. And I enjoyed it so much that uh, my best friend Greg and I, someone who became my best friend up there, um, that we uh, we actually started researching all the different climbing areas close to Whitehorse, Yukon, and we actually wrote a guide after two years on climbing in the Yukon. That's still kind of this little, uh, not well-known <laughs> sort of book on climbing. But through that, we became more and more involved with the community there. Um, we, we came onto the board of the Climbing Association at one point, I became president, and we did a lot of good. We were in the schools, and we helped develop school programs for kids to learn how to climb. We worked with an engineer and a lawyer, and we got, we got a climbing wall built in high school. We saved um, protected wilderness areas where that you know a, a company wanted to use as a rock quarry, but was was a really close to town where people loved to go and just sit sit on the rocks and to climb, and it was just a beautiful spot. So we did a lot of work. But during that time, I didn't know the Lord, and and it was like so many other people, you you're living a good life, right? You're a decent person, and, and but you're living for yourself. You're living for your own pleasures and for the things in the world. And uh, one beautiful Saturday in May, we, we put on a climbing festival. So uh, along together with that was about how a tour outfitted, and some of you will know 
that they're exporting in Canada, like NEC or for, for different groups, right? We sell sporting stuff. And uh, they asked me if I would demonstrate in front of 70 people that were there for the lead client. So if you don't know what that is, just imagine I'm on the end of the rope, and my friend Greg is on the other end of the rope, and I start up the rock face, okay? You know, you see my friend here. That's my best friend. It's still my best friend. And uh, this is still yeah, a lot of We went through a lot together. Um, so Greg is on the other end, and I'm going to climb up this crack in the rock, okay? And as I go, I put gear in. In fact, some of the gear is called a friend. It's an interesting term, isn't it? You pull on it, and it pulls the cans in. You have all these different sizes hanging off your belt. And you get the right size, and you stick it into that, you know, just the right spot. And you're hanging by your feet and your hands, and you let go, and it expands. And the more you pull on it, the more it expands. But there's a science to it. I know what you're doing. And you clip the rope on that, and up you go. Okay, the science is this. If I go five feet above that piece of protection, I'm going to drop at least 10 feet if I fall. If not more, because of stretching the rope and the other person pulling it all. So in front of 70, 80 people, I began this climb. And, uh, you know, Greg's on the end of the rope, and, and it's his job to stop me if I fall if necessary. Of course, I'm not going to fall, right? Mm -hmm. No. So I get about 25 feet up, and I lost my grip, and I plummeted it upside down. And the only thing holding me was that frame, that piece of protection. When I landed, I stopped two feet from a boulder pointed to a sharp point, like that. Yeah, so, but Greg was watching out for me. Greg was pulling in the rope. He was looking hard to make sure I didn't hit the ground. And the reason I, I didn't go any higher there was in really bad spot because I knew I was really close if I fell from the ground. You gotta know where to put your protection in, especially when you're closer to the ground. Anyway, so I kind of I stood, I flipped over and I stood on the rock. That's how close I was. And I, I'm trying to make light of what just happened, right? I just looked around and said, you know what, I made this mistake. And, and uh, I got back on the rock, I climbed back up with them. Half a foot higher, found a hole I like, could hold on to for three hours and put in a piece of protection and put it off and everything was fine. But I was so embarrassed by what I felt was a lack of skill that I displayed. You know? And the fact that I had almost died, which I didn't realize until a couple of weeks later that I don't have died, but then it really hit me. In fact, my pride was so hurt by that, it really affected how I climbed. And, and I never did another demonstration. And because it was a, it was kind of a big blow because I was the president of the finance. <laughs> I was the man. And so, you know, if I just would have gone and practiced that plan a few times beforehand, right, and, and, and done that in the days before, I might have been fine. I might have known exactly where to stop and where to put everything, but no, I've done it before, the year before, lots, I was fine. I didn't have to practice. You know. And so I think you're you're thinking what I'm thinking right now. Pride comes before the fall. Yeah. It's, oh, it's a little too easy, isn't it? <laughs> you see, uh, my friend Greg saved me. 
to save my life. I trust in Greg. I need Greg to do everything he could to save me. He was prepared. Greg was and is a good friend. But Greg couldn't save me from my sin. Right? I mean, he couldn't die for me in order that I might have life. In order life eternal. Greg couldn't do that for me. But Jesus, who calls us his friend, right? He says, we're going to see this in the verse coming up here. He is our friend, has the power to save every man and woman on earth, who has ever lived and will live. You know, Jesus saved me from sin, right, by dying on the cross, and, and I know that's so much, that he was a substitute for my wrongful behaviors and attitudes and my rebellion towards God. And Jesus is the only friend that I have who could give his life in order that I might have life and life eternal. And so it, for me, it's just such an amazing God that we serve that he would give his life, right? And that he says he calls us his friend. You know, I think of all the other so-called gods in, uh, in culture and history and, and how none of them can make that point. None of them were good, first of all, they're not real, but they could not give their life in order that their creation might have life. And those false gods in the Bible are always portrayed as powerful and vindictive and, and you have to appease, right? They're not loving gods. That's not how they're shown to be. It's such a contrast between the great I am, right? The, the one true God who we know, who reaches out in the form of a human man. I heard said recently that he didn't make himself less. He was always God. He took on humility. He added humility to who he was in order to do what he needed to do for mankind, he chose to do for mankind. Verse 13 and 14 of our passage says that greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, he says, if you do what I command. And I struggle with the idea of this God, the idea of God being a friend, because, I mean, he's holy and he's righteous and he's almost completely beyond comprehension other than what he's revealed to us. But what he's revealed is, to me is probably just insignificant, tiniest little thread of who he really is. And yet even that's so amazing. You know, we know he made everything in the heavens and the earth. But what is interesting is it's it's not me who calls him friend. It's Jesus who calls me his friend. And so that makes it good, right? He says, you are my friend if you obey what I command. But there's also a condition, right? It, it is that if we obey what he commands. You know, when you think about that, we can get caught up back into this legalistic understanding, an Old Testament kind of thing, right? But Jesus said, I was thinking about it this morning, he said he came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. He fulfilled that. He didn't say, you're still under that. Jesus said, I fulfilled that in me. I fulfilled that. His main command is to believe in him. 
Jesus says, believe in me, believe in me, that I am the one sent by God, that I am the son of God, that I'm able to forgive your sins. And you know, and sometimes we can hear that, that he says he's our friend as long as we do what he commands. And maybe that reminds us of someone, a friend from the past, who put conditions on our friendship, right? That, that maybe we learned over time we're really not our friends at all, but they wanted us to do what they, you know, wanted to manipulate us and, and do what they wanted. But you, Jesus cannot be compared <laughs> with any of our other friends, all right, in that sense. He cannot be compared with a person. First of all, his motives are pure, completely pure, and completely for our good. He is God, he is holy, and he is righteous. And he knows if we refuse to do what he commands, we will suffer for that. He's asking us to do that out of compassion for us because he knows it is good for us. If we refuse to trust him, to put our faith in him, um, it means that we will live eternally never knowing him and his wonderful mercy. And Jesus tells us to be because he knows that it is the, the best for our life. It, it brings fullness into our life, and it means we won't live in torment after. So he's doing it because he loves us. I think it's easy to obey him once you know him, and you know in his grace and his mercy and his love toward you, then you have this desire in your heart to obey him, to do as he commands. You know, I think that knowing the depth of Jesus' sacrifice, knowing what he's done for you, understanding that in your heart and in your mind, brings out for us this love and appreciation for God, of this love and appreciation for what he has done. You know, it's just so wonderful to be his friend, to be, when Jesus says, you're my friend, because to be forgiven all your hurts and your wounds, all of your your embarrassments and, and the shames that you can carry on in your life, right? to receive a new life in him and through him, to receive that, and to receive God's, God's spirit living in us, guiding us and teaching us, which is the promise that Jesus gives us and is the reality of, of that. It's such a beautiful thing. I think, like me, many of you know what it means to live without Jesus as your friend. And you know the difference. And now you know what it means to obey him and to live this glorious life as his friend. And you know what? No one can ever do what Jesus has already done. No one can do that. So whether you acknowledge him or, or the truth of who he is, the truth that he died for your sins or not, the truth is he did do that, that we might have life. Whether you acknowledge or not, he did it so that everyone might have life. There is no greater love than this. So I want, I'm using these images today to help us understand in a better way. Sometimes a physical image can help us understand our, our, our relationship with the Lord and our faith. So, like Greg was my friend, right? And he saved me from death. Like, this is a reality. So Jesus is my friend, and he, he saves me from the second death, right? But infinitely more so, and on a level that, that Greg could never attain, because Greg is just a man. 
Greg is a sinner, right? But the Lord Jesus led a sinless life, and he is God. The rope, if you think of that image, the rope that bound me to Greg together was the instrument by which Greg saved me, right? I put my trust in Greg, but I also put my trust in the rope. I knew it was a good rope. <laughs> so it's, a, it's an interesting concept, but you know when you have a good rope and you can trust in it. And, and you put your faith in that rope that it's going to be part of what saves you, what helps you. What I'm saying is the rope is a kind of a symbol, like an allegory of our faith. We are tied in at one end, and Jesus is tied in at the other. Okay? Jesus and, and we who believe in him are bound together by faith. Charles Spurgeon said that faith was the conduit between us and God. It is faith that makes it possible for us to be friends of Jesus. It is faith that makes it possible for us to, to know God and to understand his ways. And it is faith that binds us to the God of the universe. Without trust and belief in Jesus as the Son of God, that is the power to forgive sins, that he has the power to redeem us, we, we are really living without hope. We don't have that hope in us. And we will die without forgiveness, and then we'll live eternally in remorse. That's the other reality, or the other promise of rejecting the Lord. You know, and I just praise the Lord that comes from him. And we know this. Um, we know that it's not fully dependent on us because I think if it was dependent on us, we all would do. Right? But in Ephesians, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is a gift of God. So it's so, so God is so gracious that he even provides us Right? He builds that faith. He, he initiates it, and he continues to grow it in us. But I also think of the, his graciousness and how he calls us. These are some really old pictures that I took in, in the old days that I wanted to put up. In Peter, it says that Jesus continually calls us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And for me, that scripture just was such a beautiful comfort to me when I first came to the Lord, that Jesus called me out of darkness. And there's another image that says he rescues us from the pit, right? And I, and I think that even though uh, many of us ignore his call, he's so patient with us, you know, and he keeps calling time and time again. I can look back and, and remember when that, there was that call, but I rejected it. You know, there was those times when Jesus was calling. Um, but he knew I wasn't ready. But he didn't stop. And he does that because he wants us. He wants to be able to call us his friend. So, again, what a gracious and merciful God we have that doesn't leave us to our own devices. Right? He doesn't leave us alone to suffer and, and not find a way. But he seeks us out and he patiently endures, often he impatiently endures, our insults even against him and hopes 
that someday we would turn to him and understand him. So we are tied by faith to Jesus and, and through him to God. Um, and then the spirit, we know, lives inside of us to help us give us understanding. He's called our comforter, and our guide, and our convictor, and our teacher. All of those things helps us to know who God is and, and what he wants from us. And again, what he wants is pretty basic, right? He says, believe in me. He says, believe in me. And he says, love the Lord. your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then, love one another, just as I have loved you. And, and we know also how we should act. The Lord also gives us that, that understanding of, of what that means to love one another and how we do that, right? He also gives us that so that so we don't mess it up, <laughs> so that we have a good understanding. He says that these are the traits that we should express to one another and to the world. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then actually the end of that part of Galatians that I'm reminded is, against these there is no law. Right? These, in so many ways, by this is how Jesus fulfilled the, the, old, the prophets and, 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 the, and the word of the Old Testament, and how he asks us to live in fulfillment of that as well, to obey him by doing these things. You know, if Greg was trustworthy, and I could count on him to keep me from falling, and, and I did so because not that I just trusted Greg, but I trusted the Lord, which got us together. And how much more is trustworthy of Jesus? And how much more trustworthy is faith than that rope? So the truth is that Jesus will not let us fall away, right? He sacrificed himself so that we would receive eternal life. And I know he said to the apostles that, to the Father, that I will lose, lose none of these that, I have, that you have brought unto me. But that is a word for us as well. That, that Jesus will not lose any of those that the Father has brought unto him and that have believed in him and that he has made their friend. So Jesus is more trustworthy than any other friend of mine or yours that we could have. Right? He has our best intentions at heart. He will, he will guide us into a closer relationship with God the Father if we would just trust in him. We put our faith in him. And again, how much stronger is faith than a rope that was made by human hands? Right? The, the rope is subject to decay. If you leave it in the sun, it starts to weaken. If you fall on it too many times, you can't use it anymore. It can be abraded, it can be cut, it, it, it can fail. Our faith, however, comes from God. He is not made by human hands, and it cannot fail, it will not fail. So because the, the bond of faith is not dependent entirely on, on me, but it's in God's hands, who is trustworthy, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. There's such a profound peace in knowing that. Now, I'm not saying we won't make mistakes. Right? I'm, I'm not saying that we're not going to take some falls, because we will. But if we are close to Christ, we, we can stumble. We can fall, but 
he gives us the strength to go on, to go forward. We'll be able to get past our fears and, and embarrassments and, and all of that because through his strength, we grow and mature. And I think that's one of the things for me that's so profound because before I had a relationship with the Lord, I had a hard time dealing with embarrassment, dealing with mistakes. But now that I know him and his spirit is in me, I have no problem making a fool of myself. <laughs> it's crazy, right? I was so worried before about how I looked and, and, and how I came across. And I'm far less frightened to take a risk. Because I, I've learned that he knows my limits and my capabilities far better than I do. And if I just trust in him, if I follow his leading, he can do things for me that I wouldn't have anticipated or expected or dreamed of in so many ways. So my, my faith in Jesus goes beyond just belief in, in, in him in order that I have you know, a life that I'm saved, but it's something that empowers my life day to day, moment to moment. It's really encompasses a lot of things in faith, right? It's very, um, I just, I think that's the right word. It's encompassing of our entire life, of, of so many things that we are and what we do. And again, it extends beyond the beginning of the belief in the Son of God and in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and becomes a part of everything we do and everything we believe. It colors what we believe and what we understand in so many ways. And so faith is what connects us to God. And what it, it really is what helps us to draw closer to him. So now I want to talk about the hard place. Remember I started the sermon and said a brand new rope in a hard place. And it's this hard place in our lives. The, you know, the rock, when you're climbing, is very unforgiving. It's very hard. It's very sharp. If you're climbing at a higher level, you're you're putting your hand into a crack and you're turning it and you're expanding it and you're hanging off your fist. And you have to tape up sometimes because you just get abraded, you just get ripped up. And you're, you're stacking your feet into little spaces and standing on and it hurts, it's painful, right? And you get bruised and you get beat up. It's just the reality of climbing. It can be very unforgiving, very stressful. But on that day when I fell, it wasn't the rock that was my hard place, right? It was my ego. It was my pride. That was the hard place I came up against. You know, because again, I was the president of the climbing association of Utah. I was supposed to be the guy who was able to explain this to everybody and show everybody how to do it and, and be the guy. And I was the guy. And the guy made a fool of himself. <laughs> you know, and, and again, here's where I can say literally, pride comes before the fall, right? I think it's so ironic that there's such a, a, a visceral visual sense of this in my life. You know, the, the Lord knows how much our pride can hold us back. And, uh, and how much it can cause us to miss out on the good things that he has for us in life can cause us to make mistakes that can, can really hurt and, and be tough for us. You know, we see this all over in Scripture. 
God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. And you'll see that throughout scripture, this message that, that God favors the humble, that he ministers to the humble, that he helps the humble, that he works through those who are weak to humble those who are strong, he says. And so this sense of humility in a Christian's life is a, it's a sure sign that they are growing closer to the Lord. Right? When you see that that deep humility in, in someone who believes in the Lord, it's attractive. And, and you know that you know they have a relationship with the Lord. You know that. So, you know, in this life, we, we strive to move forward. And for me, um, I mean, I think we all want to try to make the goal. And the best goal we can reach is to reach maturity, more and more maturity and understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ and then the Father, to grow in relationship with God. And to know him better and better to serve him better. You know, there's also the reality that we have all of these goals in front of us, whether it's achieving a degree, paying off a mortgage, or a house. Um, sometimes it might be just getting up and getting through the day, right? And that alone might be our struggle, just to get through the day. But just like climbing, which is hard and stressful, and it can be difficult to get through. Our lives can be that way. They can be hard and stressful and, and difficult. And sometimes we fall. But a fall can either motivate us to get back up and to go on, or it can cause us to just give up. It can really, it really kind of, there's two ways to go with that, right? You get back on the horse, or you just never ride the horse again, right? So when we fall, when you fall, remember that Jesus is there to keep you from bottoming out. <laughs> he might let you fall on purpose even because he's doing something in your life. He's not going to let you bottom out, right? He will use that difficult time in your life to, to guide you, to draw him closer to you, to you, to draw you closer to him, and to help you grow. I think many of us know people who finally only gave their lives up to Christ when they bottomed out. They hit that low point, right? It's for so many, we got to get there before we, we truly understand and believe and are willing to give our lives up to Christ. I think it's very seldom that people surrender themselves to God when things are going well, when they have everything they need, when they're, they're prosperous, they're all that because success and, 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 and pridefulness can make us feel like we don't need a savior, that we can just do it on our own. And we see that so much. Pride keeps us from submitting to God because we want to be in control. Right? It's that when I said, you're not the boss of me. Kind of last week, we have that attitude in our sinful nature, in our sin nature. So we, we can't let pride keep us from having Jesus call us his friend, right? We, we need to let go of those, those prideful things because the reality is you'll never have a better friend than Jesus. And that's just the truth. And you got to stay tied to him. And that's why I like the image of the rope, you know, that we are tied to him by our faith and that he is growing us in wisdom and understanding and maturity and he is protecting us. He's keeping us safe through 
that rope of faith. And he through that rope of faith, literally, because of faith, he keeps us, he says, from the second death, right? That, in fact, he says, I will grant you eternal life. Amen. So when you come against those hard times, you've got to cling to that rope of faith that, that binds you to Christ. You need to hang on to that faith. And you need to stay close to the Lord. And when you stay close to him and you rely on him and not yourself, and, and not your own power, but in his power, you do well. You do well. I think uh, this sermon should actually be titled Jesus, Faith in a Hard Place, instead of a friend, a rope, and a rock face. Because that's what it's really about. It's about Jesus and our faith and the hard places in our life and how he uses his them to draw us unto himself and to grow us. You know, Greg is my friend, and, and his concern for me and his love for me kept me from dying more than once. More than once. And that's how you build deep friendships. When, when you have been there for each other in, in, in really difficult times. And in, in fact, in times when literally you saved someone's life. But Greg just can't be the same kind of friend that Jesus can be for me. He can't die for me. You know, we, we have that, you know, that, that verse that that no greater love is this one than this, and he gives his life up for his friend. And I, I think there's people who have been through war and other things that understand that from a human perspective. People who have died literally for them on the battlefield or in other circumstances and, and the power of that. But the Lord gave himself up for us. What a wonderful God that we serve, who willingly sacrificed himself for his creation. You know, the rope that bound me and Greg together, and which is the instrument by which Greg saved me, right, is the same as the faith that binds us in Christ together. And that's that image I want us to, it's tangible. It might be invisible in one way in our minds, but we can't see it, but it's real, it's tangible, and it's thicker than any big rope or cable we could imagine. And I think, for me, I understand this, that through faith, God can do things in my life I, I, I would never have comprehended that I would be able to do. Right? And so, I'm just so grateful that, that again, faith is a gift from God. And that he grows it and he builds it and helps us in it. And sometimes it's a painful process. How does God grow faith in us? He puts us in a place where we have to trust in him. And that can be hard. And it can be tough. But he does that in order to draw us closer to him. That we might understand him better. You know, through faith, we are, are bound together with Christ. And he saves us. And he takes us into the hard places of our life, and we're able to trust in him. The more our faith grows, the more we trust in him, and, and the more we don't worry. You know, and I think the Lord has brought me and Becca into place in our lives through this journey where we've had this deep dependency on the Lord, and he has he has caused us to have this, this beautiful faith in him that no matter what happens, he's going to take care of us. We're going to be okay. Right? He's going to 
provide, he's going to comfort, all of those things. And so instead of despairing when things are difficult, we just lean on the Lord and go, you know what? This is hard, but the Lord is going to take care of us. And, and it's such a beautiful and sweet thing. So I guess my, my challenge for us today is to let go of pridefulness and, and ego and all of those things, to, to humble ourselves before the Lord, because, man, you're not going to find a better friend. And remember, he's the one who calls us his friend. We're not the one that's stepping up and saying, hey, Jesus is my friend. I'm going to make him my friend. The Lord makes us his friend out of his love and his compassion. He says, you are no longer my slave. Remember that verse, you are no longer my slave, but I now call you friends. It's this sense, too, of us bringing us into the kingdom, into the family of God, to be a co-heir with Christ in the kingdom, this beautiful family that he brings us into, this idea of family and connectedness in a very deep way. So no matter what difficulties come our way, we have this friend. And we have this faith, and we are bound. And, and it's that image I want us to keep. We are bound to Christ by this rope of faith, this unbreakable God strength rope. If <laughs> I can say that, right? Not made by, made by human hands, but by God's hands. You know, there's that old hymn, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Is it pretty old? Yeah, I think it's fairly old, isn't it? I don't know when it was written. But I don't know if greater words can be uttered can be uttered than Jesus is my friend. Amen. Right. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and the guys to get ready to to do the offering.